Good morning, Midtown. Let's find our seats this morning and let's jump into the word of the Lord. I'd like to say it's going to be a good one, but, but I'm not sure because this is fresh off the press. But I think, like, like Sadron said, I think it's going to be some good hot chicken fresh off the grill this morning. Yeah. Hey, listen, for those of you guys who are here with us today for the first time, I'm Jay Duncan, lead pastor here at New Life Midtown. We're one congregation amongst eight different New Life congregations in the Colorado Springs, Pikes Peak region. And we just welcome you to our family. We pray that you feel right at home. You're a guest in our house. But our hope and our prayer is that you don't remain guests, that you find the place in the city that God is plugging you into, to be rooted into, because you have something to give and you have something to receive in the greater body of Christ. So the Lord bless you today and welcome here to our service. Okay, so Jeff had already made mention of this, but uh, I've spent the past three days, two nights up at Bear Trap Ranch with some of the most amazing men on the planet. And uh, the Lord blindsided me several times, and uh, as, as he has a tendency of doing. And it happened uh, through the voices and through the lives of the guys that are here in this house. So several months ago, we had what I believe was a God idea to tap on the shoulder of about 15 to 16 guys that are in this church. Uh, guys that have been newly saved to guys that have been walking with the Lord for 30 or 40 years. Some of the guys were young, some of the guys were old, some of the guys have been a part of this church for 20 years, and some of the guys have been a part of this church for one year. So we had an incredible cross-section of people, uh, of men, of God that are in this house. And I'm telling you, man, these guys prayed, they prepared, they studied, they practiced. Every one of these guys had a coach that we assigned them to over the past couple of months, and they just tweaked and honed what I believe was the word of the Lord that came out of the lips of every single one of them. Yeah. And I was sitting on the front row uh, yesterday morning and, and got completely undone. And uh, sometimes the Lord does that. Have you ever been in moments where, you know, you're just cruising along and life is good and, and you feel like you're doing pretty well and uh, you come in for business as usual Oh, yeah, I know, I know what to expect here. I'm going to come to a service, and I'm going to pull my Bible out. And then all of a sudden, with one word or one verse or one story, it's like the Holy Spirit just goes deep down into your very being and begins to unlock things, and he begins to bring revelation and truth and begins to bring healing to places that you didn't even know were broken, begins to bring deliverance to places that you didn't even know that you were in bondage. And, guys, I felt like... Uh, I felt like that happened to me this weekend. So I want to say thank you again to all the men that are in this service that were part of the retreat. Waking up this morning was a little rough. Uh, but most importantly, I want to just say thank you for, for, for taking this seriously and for being pillars in this house and for ministering under the power of the Holy Spirit and bringing the word of the Lord. And um, I, I came into this morning with a, a very clear word. Uh, it's a word that's very familiar to me. It's a word that if there was ever a time for you to have a busy stretch, it's the perfect word to lay to kind of fall back on because I've preached sonship for decades. And in worship, I just felt like the Lord was dropping some things in my heart. So we're, we're, going, to, uh, we're going to push pause um, on the other message. And uh, I want to bring you a word today about standing firm and stoking the fire. Um, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Galatians chapter 3, and I'm going to just jump right in because I feel like I have an assignment this morning. 
Holy Spirit of the living God, we ask that you would do what only you can do in this space. And that you would use human lives and you would use human stories and you would use frail examples and analogies. And Father, that you would use communication gifts and you would use, most importantly, the word of the Lord. And you would breathe on every single one of these things. And you would cause life to come through these mediums today that you would encourage our hearts, that you would provoke us and stir us and stoke the fire of God inside of us, that most importantly, Holy Spirit, you would call us back to Jesus, that we would be a faithful company of Jesus followers, that we would be a people that no matter what happens in the world, that the most important thing that is in front of us is how to be faithful to the faithful one. And so, Holy Spirit, today I pray, alight upon us, breathe upon us, sit on us, hover on us, Cause hearts to be opened and awakened again. Cause God encounters to take place. Start something fresh inside of us. Complete something inside of us. And continue something inside of us this morning. We pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we've been in a series in the book of Galatians. So as a nod to this. No, I mean, we're, we're going to deeply anchor ourselves in the book of Galatians. But we're going to explore territory out of the base camp of Galatians. And we're probably about the fifth weekend. Um, I was doing some sermon planning this week, and for some reason I had in my head last week that I had three more messages to preach before I go on sabbatical. So for those of you who've done any kind of sermon planning or sermon engineering or you're writing chapters for a book, you're, you're trying to see the end from the beginning, and I just swore I've got three more messages. I know what those three messages are going to be. And I started conferring with Jonathan earlier this week, and he says, so are you ready for your last two messages? And I was like, no, I've got three messages. And he says, no, you've only got two, unless you want to start preaching during your sabbatical. And I was like, oh, no. So I had to reroute, but then the Lord just comes, and the Lord's got a plan, right? Galatians chapter 3, we're going to look at verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? In other words, did you receive the promise of the indwelling Holy Spirit? Did you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the empowerment and the anointing and the comfort and the counsel of the Holy Spirit by what you do? Did you receive it because of your great prayer times and your great Devo times? Did you receive it because you had so many times that you checked off the box of going to church? And did you receive the Holy Spirit because of what you have done? Or did you receive the Holy Spirit by simply believing in faith the gospel that was proclaimed to you? It's rhetorical. For those of you who aren't catching how snarky Paul is being right here, <laughs> Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit, God himself, the third member of the Trinity, has invaded heaven and earth to take up residence inside of your frail life, not because of anything that you have done, but because God has promised, dating all the way back to Abraham, when God called Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 to leave his family and to leave the place of his birth and to go on a faith journey, one of the things that God said to Abraham in Genesis 12 was, son, I'm going to bless you 
And more importantly, perhaps, I'm going to bless every single nation on the planet, which means that not only will Jews experience life in God, but every other nation outside of the Jewish people. And we are the recipient of that blessing, and we're the recipient of that promise. And guys, listen, the promise that God was giving to Abraham was, I am going to give you my very spirit as a deposit guaranteeing to you what is to come, which is the hope of the resurrection and the new creation that God has promised to all of us. And so here, Paul is speaking to this fledgling church that he's planted. He's poured his life out and he's gone away to plant other churches and he gets word that these guys who started faithfully following Jesus, they're walking in the spirit, they're experiencing and they're encountering miracles, there's power gifts that are operation, they're living as a community of faithful believers and then something creeps in to the Galatian churches. And so you hear Paul like, He's a little feisty all throughout the book. Guys, who has bewitched you? Who has entered into your race and cut short the work of God? Verse three, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? After beginning by the spirit... Hold your spot here in the book of Galatians and go over to Colossians with me, to Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. This is the beauty of doing series that are completely within the books of the Bible. We just did a series in the book of Colossians at the beginning of 2021, and the word just begins to soak inside of you that you can draw from it and pull from it. And here in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says, so then, just As you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. So think back on the way that you received Christ Jesus. Did you receive Christ Jesus by the works of the law, by the works of the flesh? Did you enter into faith in Christ based on your goodness, based on your track record or resume, or did you receive Christ simply by the grace and the goodness of God and by faith and believing that who he says he is is in fact who he is and that everything that he has promised to us is received by his goodness and not by our merit. And so listen, we started this race believing in the goodness and the grace of God. That's how we got into the family of God. And somehow, some way, somewhere along the line, and I don't know how it happens, And I think it happens a little bit differently for all of us. But we convince ourselves that what began with grace must now be sustained by our own work. What began by the goodness of God must now be carried out by our own goodness. What began by the power of God's spirit somehow now must be fulfilled by our own strength and by our own ability. And man after man after man this weekend stood up testifying to how much we need the Holy Spirit. And I can forget, I can forget how this entire enterprise of living for God, it has its beginning, it has its end, and everything in between absolutely depends 
on the Holy Spirit. But we convince ourselves otherwise. If I just listen to enough podcasts, if I just read enough books, if I go to enough conferences, if I find out what's happening out there, if I, if I just master the mechanics, then I can live the Christian life well and I can be successful and I can, whatever your context is, we, we, we lose our center and we turn to the, the ideas and the, the ingenuity of the world to sustain what can only be sustained by God and by his spirit. It's like what I said last week, you guys, the Christian life is impossible without God. It's impossible. So he says, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, then continue. And today's message, you guys, is all about encouraging you to continue to live your life in God in the same way that you began. Look at the next verse here in verse 7. She's rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Go back to Galatians, if you would, Galatians chapter 5. Just laying a little bit of a groundwork here before we get into the good stuff. Galatians 5 verse 1. Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm. Look at somebody and say, stand firm. You have to stand firm in the freedom that you have obtained. To use military or or war metaphors and and stories, like when you go and you take ground and you take territory, if you abandon that space, the enemy is waiting to go back and occupy the space that you took ground in. Right? And, And whatever that is, in your marriage, in your time with God, in your pursuit and passion for God, you have to maintain a beachhead of occupying territory for the things in God. Because the moment that you let go and the moment you take your foot off the gas and go on cruise control and autopilot, the enemy is right there ready to go back in and to inhabit the territory that you once claimed. Right? You have to own the freedom that God has brought you into. Do not give up ground of the freedom that God has brought you into. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, contextually, what Paul is talking about here is he's talking about people who've lived their lives under the law. And then they came to faith in Christ and they were delivered from the law. They experienced radical freedom from all of the components of the law. Like, it's okay if we eat these foods. I mean, the spirit of the Sabbath is what God is inviting us into, not the, not the letter of the Sabbath. Christ has come to bring absolute freedom from the dictates of the law. And they were walking in this freedom, and then a group of people came in and said to them, guys, listen, what are you doing? Jesus is not enough. You, you need to go back, and in order to live the Christian life well, like you've got to follow these components of the law. And somehow, some way, over the course of time, these Galatian Christians just went back underneath the yoke of slavery to the law, right? And so Paul is adamant, do not let this happen. Do not go back into slavery when you've tasted the goodness of freedom in Christ. 
So there's a couple of targets on the wall that I want to hit today. The first is that it's totally possible for us to give up ground in God. It's totally possible for you and I to give up ground in God. We just drift. You ever been out on the waters, whether it's a canoe or a kayak or maybe a, large, a larger boat, and you're out there and you don't drop an anchor? The nature of being on the waves in water is that when the wind blows, if you're not anchored, you will drift. Right? A.W. Tozer said it like this. He said that the nature of barren ground is to produce weeds. Weeds. Right? Those, I mean, like, think about your yard. And if you're not diligent every year to throw down the weed prevention, to aerate your grass, to water your grass, to, to throw down seed where there's barren places, what, what over time just begins to occupy that empty space? Weeds, because it is the nature of weeds to grow in barren places. Places that are uncultivated, places that are not being given intentional cultivation. Weeds occupy that space. It's one of the reasons why David fell in the time when he should have been out to war, because he allowed there to be a barren space in his life that was not filled and occupied with intentionality and with purpose. And consequently, he starts looking at inappropriate things and then he goes down an awful path where at the end of it, he commits murder, right? It is possible to lose ground in God. Number two, it's possible to lay down things that God has given to you as part of your calling as a follower of Jesus, generally speaking. And then there's a unique calling that every single one of us have and over the course of time, if we don't steward the things that God has given to us, the points of revelation, the tools of revelation, we just lay those things down. Yesterday morning, that, that revelation hit me. Mike Mahoney stood up, and in eight minutes, he appealed to us to be a people of the Spirit. He shared a couple of dreams. And he opened up with 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Now, if you don't know what 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says, this is Paul appealing to the Corinthian church, and it says this. It says, you therefore then eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Eagerly desire. Eagerly desire. Eagerly desire. I mean, listen to this language. There is an intensity, and there is an intentionality, and there is a purpose that Paul is trying to put into the, the church of Corinth. This is good. You've abused it. You've mishandled it. You've misused it. You've allowed it to bring division. You've allowed your immaturity and your flesh to play with the gifts of the Spirit. It's actually brought more damage than good. Yet, I am telling you, it's still good to desire the spiritual gifts. I'm going to correct you. I'm going to teach you how to do these things. But don't, don't just toss out the gifts of God in an attempt to try to become more mature. And man, as I read that verse, what struck me was, God, I can't remember the last time I asked you for spiritual gifts. Like for those of you who know my story, a lot of people are new in the room, but guys, like my roots go deep in Pentecostal charismatic Christianity. And I can tell you one of the most powerful days in my life was when I was baptized in the Spirit. I went to Oral Roberts University for eight years. Life in the Spirit, life in God and faith in the Spirit is my foundation. And, and over the course of time, 
not cultivating that, not being diligent, not being vigilant, and seeing error, just slowly I began to lay that down. And so now when someone needs healing, yeah, I'll pray, but I'm not praying for healing like I prayed for healing at certain times of my life, right? When I'm in a situation where I need the, the word of the Lord, yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of drawing back on life experience or I'm drawing back on the counsel of other people, which is good, but I'm not leaning in and saying, Holy Spirit, I need a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge in this place, Right? When I'm facing an impossible situation, I'm taking inventory and walking through all the right protocols, but I'm not saying, God, I need the gift of faith because you're calling me to do something that is impossible. That, like life in the spirit is necessary for the world that we live in today. And I laid that down. And I didn't feel compelled to do this yesterday, but as your pastor, I just feel compelled to repent, to say, to say guys, I'm sorry for doing that. And in so doing, there is no condemnation. I was sharing this with Christy this morning, and I was just processing, you know, tell me about the retreat, and I'm sharing all these things that the Lord's doing in my life, and I just said, uh, you know, I, I found myself, I found the voice of condemnation trying to creep in. Look at the ground that you lost. And I felt the Lord just say, son, I'm not upset with you. Like, I've, I know the process that you've been in, and I've engineered this process for you. You're, 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 in the, you're in a good place. You're where you need to be, which is so reassuring. And yet I feel the, the wells of, of just being redug. I, I feel the, the lid being taken off and the Lord saying, saying, like, you needed those six years. It was fine. There are other things that you needed to explore. There are other things you need to give yourself time. You needed to heal. You need to take a break. You need to pull away. But son, don't abandon this. Don't abandon this. Go with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 3. Paul is speaking to his young son in the faith, and he says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. Command them. I urge you to command them not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies and things that promote controversial speculations rather than advancing the work of God, which is by faith. The goal of this command, son, is love. It's a love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Watch verse 6. Some have departed these. And they have turned to meaningless talk. Be careful when you participate with meaningless talk. Pay attention. Slander, gossip, opinions, sideways, being, just being disgruntled. Like Paul is giving us a very clear warning here. Like when we find ourselves just talking out the side of our mouths about things that we think, you know, are right or good or better or things that we don't like, we're, we're on a pretty slippery slope. Because at the end of this, Paul is saying that when this settles in, you're not too far of just slipping away and departing from the faith altogether. You can lose ground in God. You can lay down things that God has given you to steward and to carry for your calling. Pay attention to the state of your soul. Pay attention to the things that are important to you. Yes, yes. 
Man, I mean, man thank, God, fo- thank God for football, but man, when we're more excited about opening day of NFL than we are about God showing up and encountering us in his presence, something's wrong. Something's wrong. What's important to us? What matters? Like, don't, don't listen, guys, don't be, cont- like, listen, I'm, like, Saturday is, it's college football all day long. Okay, it's all day long. I'm just blessed that it's on Saturday and not on Sunday. So, but I've got to, I've got, I've got to make sure that my heart's not being pulled off course on things that are meaningless, meaningless. And the fire of our passion can just dwindle when we're not stoking it with things that matter in God. And I'm telling you, listen, none of us are immune or exempt from falling away from God. None of us, especially in this culture. None of us are exempt. Look over here, continuing in chapter one, verse 18. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command. In keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you might fight the battle well. Stop. I mean, there's so much in this. Listen to how many times Paul uses the word command. These are not suggestions. Now, I know there's been abuse in the church, but when we replace commands with suggestions, like, hey, if you know, if you, if you want to, I mean, if, if, if you want to think about these things. No, Paul has secured a place of authority in Timothy's life that he is stewarding with the fear of the Lord and with health. And consequently, he is speaking to Timothy as a father in the Lord, and he's saying, Timothy, this is a command, son. Like, don't, don't, don't be frivolous about this. Your faith and the faith of the people that you are shepherding is on the line. So then he says to him, there were things that have been prayed over you and prophesied over you and spoken over you. There are journals that you have filled up where you've encountered God and you've written down things that God has spoken to you. Son, don't forget about those things. Don't just kind of tuck those in. No, that was a different season. Some of us need to pull those things out and and dust, dust the covers off and read back when God was doing real work in our lives. And you need to touch that again. You need to touch that again. And I'm believing and I'm praying that there will be no condemnation. Some of us will read those things and go, man, how did I drift so far away from this? No, listen, in a moment, in one decision, you can be right back. You can be right back where God needs you to be. In one moment, in one decision, in a turn of your attention, in a turn of the trajectory of your heart, God gets you right back on track. And he is the God who redeems time. And listen to the language right here. He says, by revisiting these prophecies over your life, you can fight the battle well. Listen to the context, guys. Like, we are in a battle. I mean, if if you can't look back over the past 18 months and look at the hostility and the vehemence and the violence, and if you can't look and say, like, we are right in the crosshairs of one of the hottest battles for our soul, the soul of a church, Like, I know a lot of times we like to talk about the soul of a nation. Listen, the soul of a nation is the byproduct of the health of the soul of the church. And the soul of a church is the byproduct of the health and the soul of every single one of us individually. So the nation will take care of itself. I'm focused on the health of the soul of the church of the living God. We are in a battle. 
And one of the strategies of the enemy is just to lull us to sleep and cause us to drift and lay down our weapons and lay down our revelations and lay down our passion and lay down our focus and lay down our purpose. Before we know it, we're just, we're just, we're impotent. We're isolated. We're independent and we're powerless. And that's how you get casualties. Turn over here to 1 Timothy chapter 4. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith. I don't know what that does for you, but that puts the fear of the Lord in me. I mean, I've got 35 years in God. I've got a couple of degrees, and I, and I, and I pastor faithfully, but I'm not exempt from this. I'm not exempt from the poison of bitterness getting into my soul and turning me against God. I'm not exempt from becoming fatigued and busy. I'm not exempt from the temptations of immorality and impurity in this planet. Like I need the fear of the Lord to snap me into attention and it comes a lot of times from you. I'm telling you guys, when I sat there and I sat underneath and I sat around the presence of men who were going after God, it provoked something inside of me. It reminded me. It reminded me what's happening. It reminded me where we're at. It reminded me about what's going on. Friends, I need that. You need that. That's why we need the, the fellowship of the Spirit. That's why we need church. Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Kristen, you're doing an amazing job. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. See any of that? People will be lovers of money, more focused, more consumed, more interested in producing and saving and hoarding money. They'll be boastful. They'll be arrogant, opinionated, proud, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. Can we just stop right there? Can we just let that settle in? What is the form of godliness that you've mastered but lacks power? What is the form of godliness? I could raise hands with the best of them. I could pray in tongues with the best of them. I can clap and jump and shout and dance with the best. I can preach. I can pray. I can prophesy with the best of them. But, that, but listen, without the animation of the Spirit, without the life of the Spirit, without the Holy Spirit breathing on these things and infusing these things with the life of God, they're all forms. They're forms. Your intellectual theological arguments, they're forms. Okay? Your musical talent, it's a form. You leading a small group, it's a form. You parenting your children, it's a form. Without the power of the Spirit, it's just a form. Having a form of godliness. Man, listen, I appreciate your tithes and your offerings because it pays my bills. But without that being motivated and generated by the life of God, it's a form of godliness. I believe it's something that God can and will use, and he uses powerfully. But if you're not yoking that up with the life of God, it's a form. It's an empty shell. Yeah. 
So I think the Lord is saying to us today, I think there's, there's a warning might be strong, but maybe there's an admonishment that the Holy Spirit's trying to speak into the soul of New Life Midtown today. And number one, I feel like the Lord is saying to you, to you stand, stand, don't give up ground. Don't give up the territory that you have purchased and possessed in God. Okay? Number two, I feel like the Lord is saying for us to rekindle the flame of the fire of God in our lives in this church. There's a story in 2 Kings chapter 6 when we think about, man, how did I get here? How did I get to this place? I want to turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. It's, it's kind of a obscure passage. When you read it, 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 it seems very out of place. It almost seems like one of those anecdotal stories that don't really fit into the bigger picture of what God is doing. But I felt like the Lord just tapped me on the shoulder this morning and he said, look at 2 Kings chapter 6 again. And let's start with the beginning in verse 1. The company of the prophets said to Elisha, look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place there for us to meet. And Elisha said, great, go. In other words, they're experiencing growth. And growth and transition always bring a unique set of challenges. In fact, one of the times where the enemy likes to come in and wreak havoc in your lives is during times of transition, during times of growth. And I think that in this house, we're all sensing, we're, the more I talk with different leaders and people in the house, there's this sense that, man, God is just sovereignly growing the house. So we're in this season, in this phase of growth, which means we've got to pay attention. Because in growth, there are new challenges. And in transition, the enemy likes to bring disruption. So he says, go. And then one of them said, well, won't you please come with your servants? And Elisha said, I will. And he went with them. They went to the Jordan. They began to cut down trees. And as one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he said, oh, no, my Lord, it was borrowed. And there's, there's, this, this is, there's so many beautiful pastoral lessons in this. That God cares about these things. I mean, they're doing the work of the Lord. And listen, in the work of the Lord, stuff happens. Like axe heads, axe heads fall off of their handles. I mean, just stuff happens. I mean, I'll never forget, guys, when we were like renovating this place and a massive glass mirror came down and almost chopped Bob Lowry's entire arm off. I mean, just split his entire forearm in two. And thank God Chris Lockett was in the house on that work night. I mean, like when you're in the yoke of doing work, stuff happens, right? But listen to what Elisha says to him. This, this question is the question I think the Lord has for us today. The man of God asked him, where did it fall? Like that accent is important because it was necessary for that man to do and fulfill the purpose of God in that moment. And there have been axe heads that God has given to you for your calling that we've laid down. And here's, here's what the question the Holy Spirit is, I think, asking you. Where did your axe head fall? Where did your axe head fall? 
Christy and I came here in 2004 against the counsel and the better judgment of a lot of people that were in our life that said, don't do it. It's a pastor's graveyard. It's going to be very, it's toxic. It's difficult. Don't come to this church. We prayed, we fasted, we got a dream from the Lord and we feel like the Lord called us here. And it was three of the most challenging years of our life in ministry. It was very challenging for a lot of reasons that I won't go into today, but it was hard. And I'm not a quitter, but every week for three years, I had a, I had a knockdown, drag out fight with the Lord and said, I'm, I'm, I do not want to be here. I hate this ministry. I hate this city. And I've, I've got a promised land and I want to go to it. And over the course of that time, every week asking God to release me from this assignment, God just held me to the fire. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> in 2010, when we came here in 2004, the ministry was running strong at about 800. In 2010, when the church was handed off to us, we were running about 50 to 60. 80 was a high point for us. We were handed a church that was in debt. We were handed a church that had no volunteer system and five of the six staff members had all taken off. And the church was put in my and Joe Schmidt's lap. Good luck. It was extremely challenging. It was, it was, it was, it took a lot of energy, took a lot of time, took a lot of effort, took a lot of prayer. But thank God there was kind of the, the foolishness and the zeal of being young and the strength of being young. And we just threw ourselves into it. And we gave it our best and the Lord began to heal and repair and grow the ministry. 2013, we were pregnant with twins. And if you've never had twins before, it's pretty exhausting. I found myself uh, going to bed at night uh, alone. Christy had to go down every night around seven o'clock because she's carrying two human beings in her belly. And a lot, of, a lot of things can happen to a man between seven and 10 p.m. by himself. You gotta fight battles. You, you've, you've gotta win some wars. And it's a struggle. And you got to shoulder and carry the load of having two other kids and still trying to pull the church back together. We hired a, an executive pastor, a seasoned man who was a former chaplain in the military. He was a former senior pastor. Two months after we hired him on staff, he quit right in the middle of a staff meeting. And I spent the nine months, the next nine months of 2014, trying to restore this man back to health and ministry. And it was all for naught. It was a lot of wasted energy. It was a lot of wasted time. It was extremely frustrating. It was extremely exhausting. 2015, um, our lives began to become more knit and yoked together with Jonathan and Bonnie. And they suffered one of the most extreme tragedies in their life when they lost their son 21 days after he was born. John Collicott's wife, Lisa, after he shared this at the retreat, she passed away that year. After this church got into the trenches of fighting for her soul and fighting for her healing, and she passed away and we buried her. Ralph Femright was buried that year. 2015 was a year of great grief and great tragedy. 2016 to 2017, half this church left because we began making some turns to become more faithful. We began instituting the table weekly. We began instituting the Lord's Prayer weekly, and people thought we were becoming Roman Catholic, and they left the church. Um, 2018 was a pretty good year. It was a great year. Um, thank God for 2018. <laughs> 2019, I lost two of my closest friends in life and in ministry. Grieved that, and then COVID hit. It's been, it's been a ride. And I say all that to say that in the middle of that, and I hope this is a word for somebody here today, 
that God had to continually take me back. I mean, there was a lot of axe heads that fell. And some of you who might be new might not know, but Christy and I are going on the second part of a, of a sabbatical. So we actually leave in two weeks. And one of my assignments, one of my assignments is to get healed, to get restored. And one of my assignments is to go back and to reclaim some axe heads that have fell in my life. I feel like there are things that have died in me that the Lord is resurrecting. I feel like there are tools that I've laid down that the Lord is saying, come on, son, let's go to the river. We got to go find an axe head. In the middle of all of this, I mean, we had, we had friends, we had friends in ministry that were a part of, part of the house that between 16 and 17 ended up taking their ministry elsewhere. And, and we found ourselves starting over from scratch again and asking ourselves, God, do we have the energy and the strength to do this? And the Lord did something really profound. He took us to John chapter 21. I want to take you to just two more verses of scripture, then we'll come to the table. In John 21, Jesus is having a conversation with Peter. And if you know anything about Peter's life, you'll know that Jesus actually calls Peter multiple times. Like when Jesus sees Peter fishing in Luke chapter 5, he says, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, right? And then we've preached on this passage the past several weeks when Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Some people say that you're John the Baptist, you're one of the prophets. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And, And then Jesus calls Peter again. You are the rock upon which I'll build my church. And we find this moment when uh, Jesus is out walking on the water and Peter's there and he's in the boat and he looks at Jesus and he says, if this really is you, call me out on the water. And Jesus calls him out on the water. And to my knowledge, he's the only person who has walked on water with Jesus, right? So all throughout Peter's ministry, you find that Jesus is calling him again and again and again and again. And then Peter loses his axe head and he denies Christ and he's flooded with shame and guilt and regret. He can't, he can't look at himself. Jesus is one of his closest friends. He was a spiritual father. He's the savior of the world and, and he is just guilt ridden. And then Jesus shows up and he calls Peter again. There's a conversation with Peter beginning in verse uh, 15 of John 21. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter replied, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I'll tell you something that has happened to us in the course of the 17 years of being in Colorado Springs is we have learned to hear Jesus call us again and again and again and again. In toxic environments, we had to come and say, Jesus, call us again. We need to know that you're calling us. And we would hear the voice of the Lord call us so clearly. And we would re-up and we would re-sign up and we would say yes to the Lord. It would give us a grace and it would give us a strength to stay in the yoke of whatever it was that came at us. Through people dying in this church, we would say, Jesus, we need you to call us again. And he would show up and he would say, son, I am calling you to this. And we would say yes again. People leaving this house for quote unquote irreconcilable differences. And guys, there's no, I mean, my, my heart is clean towards that. All right? 
God, God has done an amazing thing in this house and in me and in those people, but it hurt and I needed Jesus. I needed to be reminded why I'm doing this and Jesus showed up faithfully and he called me again. And I feel like right now Jesus is calling me again and he's calling you again and he is saying, do you love me? Then follow me. Come follow me again. How do you make it through? Come on up, Jonathan. How do you make it through life's disappointments? How do you make it through the grief and the sorrow and the struggle and the shame and the brokenness and the bitterness? How do you make it through when people you love, you've invested into, abandon you and leave you? How do you make it through being uh, wrongly accused and misjudged and your motives being misinterpreted? How do you make it through that? Friends, you need to hear the voice of the master come to you and say, follow me again. Follow me. And you need to respond to that calling. Some of us in this room this morning, we've lost ground because we've just drifted. We've given up territory because we've just stopped doing the right things. Some of us in this room today, we've lost a fire. And the ashes of old logs of God have burned up. But I'm here to tell you today, there's, I believe with everything inside of me, there's still an ember underneath that ash and the wind of the spirit's going to blow that ash away and he's going to breathe again on the embers of your flame on the embers of your love on the embers of your calling and your passion in God he's going to heal you he's going to restore you he's going to deliver you he's going to break shame off of you he's going to break anger and bitterness off of you and he is going to rebuild a hot burning fire for God in your life again friends will you stand with me as we look at this last verse of scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. The scripture's gotten me through a lot in my life. It says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Stand firm, beloved. I know you've been through a lot. by the voice of the spirit today I want to speak to you prophetically stand firm we need you we need you we need you don't give up don't take yourself out of the game stand firm having done all to stand listen if you can't do anything else if you can't God I can't war right now I can't fight right now I can't intercede right now Stand. Just, just say, God, I'm going to remain. I'm not going to give up ground. I'm not going to give up territory. I'm going to put my feet firmly in the revelation of who you are and the work that you have done in my life. And I'm going to stand right here in this place. I know that you're calling me to move forward and I'm going to move forward and there's going to come a time where strength and grace is going to fill me and it's going to empower me. But right now, God, all I can do when the arrows of the enemy are, 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 are falling down around me, I am going to hide myself under the shadow of your wings. I am going to cling to the rock and I'm going to stand right here. And I'm not going to give up this territory in you. And there will be a day when I expand this territory. But for now, I've just got to stand firm. Let nothing move you. 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 The enemy wants to push you back, but I'm here to I'm, I'm here to declare today that nothing will move you. That nothing will move you. Listen, pastors will come and go. Churches will be imperfect and broken. That is a fact and a reality of life until Jesus returns. Friends, don't let that move you. Don't let that move you. 
Don't let my humanity move you. Don't let somebody else's brokenness and immaturity, don't let that move you. Don't let that move you. Don't let something a spouse has done, don't let that, don't let that move you. People are abusers. People will violate you. Injustice runs rampant on the earth. Friends, listen, don't let that move you. Let grace flood your soul and let it anchor you. Let it anchor you today and let it strengthen you today. And I wanna, I wanna encourage you to give yourself again fully to the work of the Lord. And I don't know what that work is. For some of you, that work is, is healing. For some, of that, for some of you, that work is you've got to pull away and you've got, to, you've got to say yes again to God. But give yourself to that work. Just set the course of your heart towards God. Whatever work you're wanting to do, I say yes. You got some of you, some of you your step today is, God, I'm giving myself again to the work of the Lord. That, that, that is the holy decision that needs to be made in this space today, right? And trust him, friends. He is the master engineer of processes. He is the master engineer of processes. He knows exactly how much pressure to apply. He knows the rate and the speed and the pace. He knows. And if you will trust him with his work, he will lead you into a place where you will thrive again and be fruitful again in God. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Last part of this verse, listen, because you know that your work and your labor in the Lord, it's never wasted. It's never wasted. It's never in vain. Every yes you have ever given God, friends, has never been in vain. Every decision that you have made to turn to God and say, God, help me, strengthen me, revive me, has never been in vain. And God will take those broken pieces and he will breathe on them. And there, I'm telling you, in this city, there are so many people that need your yes. God's gonna put you back together. God's gonna strengthen your knees. He's gonna lift up your hands. He's gonna put a song in your mouth. He's gonna put a fire in your belly and it will not be in vain. Father, today in the name of Jesus, I don't know what you're doing in this house, but I have inklings and I have a sense today God, you're, you're, you're resurrecting New Life Midtown. God, you're taking us back to where the axe head fell and we're picking up things that we dropped and left behind us. You're breathing afresh. And God, today I pray that we would fan into flame the gift of the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that faith would grow inside of us again, that we would believe again that we would turn our hearts to you again, that life would spring up inside of us again, that we would find our song again, that we would find a strength in our voice again, God, that we would care about the lost again, that we would intercede for the nations again. God, I pray today, do it, do it, oh God. Yes, you have my yes for this house. You have my permission, not that you need it, but I give it to you today. You have my permission, God, to come and build this house and to form this family and to build, God, a fire in this house that burns bright and hot and clean for the purposes of God and for the kingdom of God here in this city and to the nations of the world. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, God, oh, Spirit of God, put something inside of us right now today. In Jesus' name.
on, let's come to this table. like exploded into your heart you remember that day you remember that day when like you couldn't stop crying at the revelation that Jesus died for you you remember that I need that again I listened to the testimony of ex-gangbangers in this house stand up and talk about radical grace and I had forgotten I had forgotten That's why we need people to get saved, guys. That's why we need babies in the house. That's why we need new baptisms, because we forget. We forget this gospel. It becomes old hat, but I'm praying today at this table. God, break in afresh and anew. Reveal the gospel afresh to us. Jesus, the Holy One, the Son of God, living at... The right hand of God for all of eternity was tasked with the assignment to come, to be the word made flesh, entered into this world, entered into poverty, entered into obscurity, entered into humility, and he did nothing but love and serve and humble himself. You did nothing but give yourself to the least lovable. You did nothing but show us who the Father is, and we did nothing but reject you. And we did nothing but tear you down and mock you and insult you and humiliate you. And we executed you, Jesus. But love held you to that cross and an eternal purpose to save humanity and cause the kingdom of God, the age of the kingdom to begin. Uh, the dominion of the kingdom must, must come back to this earth and it required the life of your son. And our lives have been redeemed. The work of the spirit is alive inside of us. We are growing, we are maturing, we are changing, and we have hope. And the only way is because of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So today, Holy Spirit, breathe afresh, I pray, on body and blood, on bread and cup. Breathe today. Cause salvation grace to spring up afresh inside of us, we pray today. By the Holy Spirit, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, and he said, Brothers, this is my body. And I'm laying down my body on your behalf so that you can live whole. So take and eat for this is the body of Christ broken for you. Let us receive. Then he took the cup of wine and he said, brothers, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. He says, I promise you that if you will put your faith and your trust in me, 
that I will restore you and redeem you and renew you and make you whole and I will cause my kingdom to begin in your life. I promise you that. I will do all the work. You say yes. That's the covenant of the cup of the blood. I forgive you. You are clean and you are free because my blood has liberated you and it has redeemed you. So today I declare over you, friends, your sins are forgiven and the spirit of Christ dwells in you and he is at work in your life and he is making all things new and he is making all things good. So today by faith we receive the cup of the Lord. Blessed be the name of our God today. Praise be to the Holy One and the Worthy One, our Immaculate King. John, would you lead us in a song of thanksgiving? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. sisters, I I commit you to the work of the Lord today. Because the work of the Lord in your life is too important for petty things. The kingdom of God is too important. What you have to bring to the world around you is too important. So I commit you to the work of the Lord. And I commend you to the grace of God. And I pray the blessing of the Lord would rest on you, that it would mark you that the fingerprints of heaven would be upon you and all around you, and that he would awaken your heart to encounter him afresh and anew, that he would form you into the very image of his son Jesus, and that he would release you to join him in his mission in the earth in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Sure do love you guys. Bless you guys. Amen.